I want to just uh, tell you up ahead of time that next week, it's what about the dinosaurs? I don't know about you, but I used to love dinosaurs. I still do. I was fascinated with them as a boy. We're going to talk about how they fit into the, the whole Genesis picture. And, uh, but tonight, the six days of creation, and we're going to look at how God created the heavens and the earth. And um, let's just see what it has to say, and we'll pray together. Uh, let's go ahead and just pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you, Lord God, that we stand on solid ground because we stand on your truth and on your promises. Now, Lord, open our eyes to the truth about this world that we live in, the universe that we see, and all that you have created. We thank you for it and bless you for it in Jesus' name. And I pray for people listening by radio that, Lord, you'll bless them there in their car, bless them in their home, bless them in the hotel room, wherever they might be. Let them experience the power of your word to renew the mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody said amen with me. Amen. Amen. All right, good. Now, the reason we're going through Genesis, uh, one of my main reasons, I love the book of Genesis, but I want you to understand that the book of Genesis is probably the most maligned and most attacked Bible book in our culture. And of course, we know the, the, uh, the belief that has come against the teachings of Genesis, and that is the belief in evolution, which is a fallacy, and it is a fraud. And I'm going to show you tonight how the Bible totally goes against the belief in evolution. And uh, let's just read now. It's important to note that through the centuries, science has proven nothing that negates the Genesis record. Did you know that? In fact, the Genesis record is what answers the mysteries of science. The one overwhelming testimony, the truthfulness of the Genesis account, is the New Testament. Now, I could tell you that, you know, there are inspired books that people have written, scientists have written, that that totally shore up the teaching of Genesis and the story of creation. But the greatest book of all that totally affirms Genesis is the New Testament. And uh, the New Testament was not written by any scientist, thank God, not even by a creation scientist. No, the New Testament was not written by theologians or a theologian. Jesus chose fishermen, blue-collar workers, normal everyday folk, and he filled them with the Spirit and gave his revelation to them. It was written by simple men who were given the Word to write by God himself, so that who is the author of Genesis? The Creator is the author of Genesis. And uh, in the New Testament, it is amazing when you read it with this in mind, that when you read it with the creation account in mind, we find clear affirmation of the six-day creation. It's talked about in the New Testament. There's affirmation of divine fiat or instantaneous creation. God said, let there be, and something came out of nothing. And that's the way things were created. That's what you call by divine fiat. Something came out of nothing. Ex nihilo. There was something out of nothing. By his word, God created. There is affirmation uh, of man being made in the image of God. We did not evolve from apes. We were created in the image of God. If you want to go with evolution, then evolution did make a monkey out of you. But God didn't. God did not bring you from a monkey. 
All right? There is an affirmation of Adam being created and then Eve. The Bible in the New Testament talks about that and affirms the truth of that. And then there is affirmation of man's fall into sin in very specific terms over and over again. We are a fallen uh, race, a fallen people. We fell. And the New Testament clearly, clearly over and over again talks about that. There's affirmation of the flood. There's affirmation of Noah and the surviving family of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. In short, all of the Genesis record is very carefully referred to by the inspired New Testament. So if somebody says to you, you believe in Genesis? You say, I absolutely do, because so does my New Testament. And furthermore, not just my New Testament, but the red ink. Jesus affirmed Genesis. Now, if you're willing to go up against Jesus, have at it. I'm not. Jesus affirmed the creation account, Adam and Eve, Noah, Jonah, over and over again, the son of the living God who saved our soul and died for our sins, affirms the book of Genesis. So is it any wonder that Genesis has come under such attack, such vicious attack? All right. Absolutely nothing can be found about evolution in Genesis. It is not there. There is no such thing as the theory of evolution anywhere in the New Testament or Old Testament. It's not in the Bible. Well, where did it come from? Well, we know where it came from. It came from Charles Darwin, the origin of species, and the whole theory he concocted that has yet today to have been proven. And it never will be. Now, you can't find anywhere in the Old Testament and you can't find anywhere in the New Testament where Genesis is cast in an evolutionary light, it's not there, or into the light of fable, it's not a fable, or fantasy, it's not somebody's fantasy or some kind of poetic license where Moses was just waxing poetic to make a point. No. He wrote Genesis as a historical account of where our world came from and our universe. And he said, in the beginning, God created from nothing the heavens and the earth by his word. Amen. And it's just that simple. Now, uh, and I find that really that's more logical. When I look at evolution, you talk about having to take a leap of faith to, to believe something. I mean, it, it, it is really stupendously preposterous. All right, now, French author Hubert Thomas writes this. He says, quote, without exception, creation is always mentioned as a unique event which took place at a particular moment in past time, period. Creation happened at the Word of God. It's not something that's going on all the time like, like evolution teaches, that we are in an evolutionary process whereby life and us are evolving into a better place. When I look around me, I don't see life evolving into a better place. I see the world in great big trouble, and I don't see any evolution of species at all. I see what's here is here. What's not is not. Evolution, I believe, has been introduced into the world as an atheistic, godless alternative. 
See, Charles Darwin had decided that God was not the creator of the world. He cast off his faith and came up with the theory of evolution. He had to let go of the creation story and the claim of the Bible to embrace what he put in his book, The Origin of Species. So, talk to an evolutionist, and how can they be a believer in God? Unless they say, well, God created evolution. Well, that did not happen, because that's not what the Bible says. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth in six days. Evolution demands irrational faith in time and chance. See, I believe God created the heavens and the earth, but the evolutionist believes that time, endless time, infinite time, and chance created the heavens and the earth. So you put your faith as an evolutionist in time and chance. I put my faith in the God who created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you ask me who is taking the greater leap of faith, I have to say, dear friend, if you're an evolutionist, you are. All right? Evolution can't happen. It is impossible. We're going to look at that some tonight. Creation, on the other hand, is rational faith in Almighty God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day they utter speech. Night after night they show forth knowledge. They testify of the reality. They carry the signature of Almighty God. There's no getting around it. Now, as we saw last time, the six days of creation are grouped as follows. Day one, God said, let there be light. And that was before he made the sun. So light showed up when there was no sun. And we talked last week about it. Uh, no question, it was the light that emanated from God. And that same light will emanate from him according to the, the end of the book of Revelations. The, the light that emanates from him will be the light that lights up heaven. So at the beginning of Genesis, you have God's light lighting up the universe. And at the end, we need no sun because Jesus Christ is the lamp that lights that holy city. So, but light showed up at the word of God. Let there be light and there was light. Now, day two, waters beneath and waters above. God separated them. I'm going to talk about that more in just a moment. Day three, Dry land, seas, and plants God created. Day four, he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. All that you see out there in that vast universe. Day five, the fish and the birds. And I'm so thankful for day five. I love birds. And didn't God do a good job when he made birds? Day six, animals and you and me. All right? Now, during the first three days, remember that God made the arenas. He made the environment into which the actors of day four through six were placed. He had to make the land and the sea and the sky and all of that before he could put the living creatures and living things in it. And we were sharing last week that God always prepares your future before you arrive. See, that's why David said he prepares a table before me while my enemies look on. See, when you get to where God wanted you to go, he was there before you and was all, already making it ready for your arrival. And right now, there are places, things, and people he's already designed and decreed you're going to meet and, and that you're going to see, and you haven't gotten there yet, but he's already there waiting for you to arrive. 
powerful. That's why you ought to be excited about your future every day that you wake up. Because God's got something good planned for every one of us. Amen? Now, the galaxies needed the vast expanse of, of sky, the heavens. The birds and the animals and fish needed the land and the sea in which to dwell. Each day built on the previous one. God's a God of order. He's a God of, of uh, strategy. Providing what was necessary to sustain li the, the life created on the days that followed. And i got to tell you, what blows my mind is, the more I look at this Genesis account, the more I realize he made all that he did so that he could place you and me in it. Now, I'm not making you more important than you are, but of all that God created, you were the crown of the creation. And all that he did on these first six days, or five and a half days, six days, all that he did, he was getting it ready to put you there and give you dominion over the animals and the fish and the birds and everything he made. That's powerful. We first explored day one when God created light. While there was no sun to give light to the earth, it's safe to suppose the light on day one came from God himself, of whom the Bible says God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Now we come to day two. God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. Now remember, darkness was on the face of the deep. The earth was unformed. That is, nothing was created beyond the mass called earth. It was darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Bible says the Holy Ghost was brooding over the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and light shined. And then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. Well, what does that mean? What did God do? On the second day, God separated the waters of Genesis 1 verse 2 into two regions with the atmosphere called the firmament or the expanse in between. So the firmament or the expanse in between is where the birds fly, where jets fly, where planes fly, where the clouds are. That's the firmament. And God separated the water in the seas from the water above and he put oxygen in between, space in between, preparing it not only for birds and other mammals, but particularly for us, because we're oxygen-breathing creatures, most of us. <laughs> All right. Now, the waters above the firmament were contained in clouds, while the waters below were the surface and the subterranean waters of the earth, the oceans. God separated them. By his word, he speaks, and it is done. What a mighty God we serve. Now, commentator John Phillips writes this. He says, quote, The amount of vapor, think about this, the mind blower, the amount of vapor continually suspended in the air above us is estimated at 54,460,000,000,000 tons of water hanging in the sky. Now, the Bible tells us in Colossians that the Lord Jesus Christ holds all of that together by the word of his power. So Jesus could speak and we'd all be drowned because that water is held up there by the word of God, not science, by the word of God. 
Powerful stuff. So that gives some idea of the power required to separate the waters from the waters. God spoke, and trillions of tons of water went up, and God put the expanse in between. The annual precipitation, think about this. The annual precip in the form of rain and snow, which falls on the earth, is the equivalent of 186,000 cubic miles, enough to cover the entire earth to a depth of three feet. So the entire earth would be three feet deep in water if all the water in the sky came down. And you think you had it bad on the way here tonight. (laughs) Think about it. This is what the Bible says. And I ask you, has science ever disproved anything that the Word of God says about this? Nothing. Science only affirms it. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, and that was the second day. So now you got water above, water beneath, and air in between. Now he goes on. Next, God raised the continents by separating water from land. Look what the Bible says, verse 9. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. So what did God do? He pulled the water together into certain boundaries. He gave the sea, the oceans, boundaries, and the dry land appeared. What did he need dry land for? Animals, mammals, and you. So the the dry ground appeared. And after God said it, it was so. And people ask me all the time, Pastor Jeff, somebody asked me this this week. They said, they said, how is God going to call ashes out of the grave? People that have got cremated and people that have been in the grave for centuries and now their bodies are only lost dust. How is he going to call them out of the grave and give them a glorified body? Hey, God said to the ocean, to a, an earth covered in water, move it. And it came together in boundaries. And then he told the land, appear, and it appeared. It was so. So when God says, come up hither, you're coming up. And he'll give you a glorified body. He'll give you a glorified body. That's really not anything to God. He makes something come out of nothing. He'll find your ashes. All right. Now, Moses declares that God gathered the waters together to one place. Now, you know what? The critics used to say, aha, look at that. What a foolish statement that he gathered the waters to one place. The critics called or deemed Moses to be a simpleton for making such a statement. And here's what they assumed about Moses. They said that since Moses had seen only one sea, that he imagined it to be the only one there was. So he thought, well, God gathered all the waters to one place, the sea that I'm looking at. Certainly he had never seen the Atlantic or the Pacific Oceans. So he was wrong. See, so the Word of God is wrong. But now we know that although the continents are divided, the seas occupy one bed. (laughs) You know, I I, got to tell you, if I'm on the evolution side, you got a job. You got your job cut out for you. Because the Bible is always true. And you don't have to commit intellectual suicide to believe that. As a matter of fact, you can be quite bright, 
Newton, IQ estimated at 190, fully believed in God and creation. You can go down through history at the brilliant scientists, mathematicians, thinkers, philosophers, who all believed that God created the world. I think you've got to commit intellectual suicide truthfully if you embrace evolution. You can't, you can't follow and pursue evolution with an open, clearly thinking, logical mind because you're going to run up against too many problems. It is too problematic. It will not hold up under scrutiny, honest scrutiny. It won't. It can't. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was what? It was good. All right, now, God wasn't finished with the third day. He next deals with the deadness of the planet. He had all these things, the water separated from the land, but there was no life. So on the third day, the first life or living thing appears. He, he created grass, herbs, and fruit trees on the third day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit. Now read with me this next phrase, according to its kind. Very important. That phrase is found 10 times in Genesis 1. So mark it and remember it. According to its kind, whose seed is in itself. In other words, it has the ability to reproduce. Its seed is in itself. It has the ability to multiply. On the earth, and it was so. And so the earth, according to the word of God, brought forth grass. It began to appear. The herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself, very important. Moses was not a botanist, but look at this. He said, it is, they have seed in itself with the ability to reproduce according to its kind. It's estimated that based on what God spoke into existence, there are more than 100,000 species of plant life on the globe. And there are more than 5,000 different forms of grass alone. 5,000. Can you say with me, our God's a God of variety? I didn't know there was 5,000 kinds of grass, but there are. Now, the phrase, watch this, according to its kind, is the rock upon which the whole theory of evolution is dashed. This phrase appears 10 times, I already told you, in Genesis 1 alone. Genesis 1 alone, according to its kind, according to its kind, after its kind, according to its kind. Why does it dash evolution up against the rocks? It states that God has decreed there will be no changes from one kind or one species to another. God said what, when the grass reproduces, when the flowers, the fruit trees, when animals, mammals, birds, fishes, humans, when they reproduce, it will be after its kind. So, well, so what, Pastor Jeff? Big deal. Well, evolutionists say that everything we see, all of life, came from an, an original, simple form, life form that crawled out of some ancient primeval sea Fish became an amphibian, amphibian became a lizard, lizard sooner or later gave 
birth to other life forms, and somewhere in that long, stretched out evolutionary process of time and chance, humans appeared. But watch this now. He says that's impossible because he says, he says God decreed that one kind, one species, cannot give birth to another kind. Let me put it to you this way. If I made you eternal and you lived to be a trillion years old and you had a mate that lived that long with you and you reproduce and reproduce and reproduce, never would you produce a dog. Do you see what I'm saying? You, God said, it, whatever it is, it will reproduce only after its kind, only after its species. Now, you have variety among species. Look at all the different kinds of birds, all the different kinds of mammals. It's incredible. It's beautiful. Thank God for his creation. But it comes down to genetics. Listen closely. There may be mutation. There may be change. There may be variety within a given species, and there are. We got five different kinds of dogs in my house, but they're all dogs. And if they lived to be a million and had a jillion pups, they would never produce a cat. Are you hear me? So how did, how did an original simple life form Way, way back, billions and billions and however far back the evolutionists want to go, how did it end up spawning, producing, creating all the different species of life around us? You can't. Genetics won't let you. God's law is this. No species is changed into another species. It's never going to happen. Evolution claims that over time all the species came from one single organism. That's impossible. The principles of genetics have firmly established the fact that inherited characteristics are programmed in the genes. The genes are like a blueprint. Now, we're doing this south end of the building here, and we had to get a blueprint drawn up. Now, this is really simplifying it, but genes, G-E-N-E-S, are like a blueprint. And we had a blueprint. And here's what it's going to look like in the south end. It had the electrical. It had the plumbing. It had the dimensions. Everything that we were going to do back there first had to be on a blueprint and be okayed by the city. Now, the builder goes back there, and he goes by the blueprint. If the blueprint does not show a second story, a second story is not going to turn up unless you made a huge mistake in who you hired. But now watch this. Here's the deal. Your genes, the genes that you were born with, were human genes. They had a blueprint. The blueprint is God's programming. He programmed those genes for you to be human. He programmed the genes of dogs to be dogs, cats to be cats. Everything that lives is, that's why you're never going to have a, you're never going to have a lizard sprouting wings and flying. Because the blueprint in his genes does not teach his body to grow feathers. It's not in the programming. 
Genetics is so powerful. The principle of genetics have established the inherited characteristics are programmed in the genes and there's nothing you can do about it. That's why when evolutionists say, well, species undergo change when they get in differing environments and they adapt to those environments. Let me tell you something. I could send you off to Florida where you got tanned to the hilt. You got so tanned your hair was bleached blonde. You got so tanned you looked like you changed and you looked like you'd undergone gone a basic a basic change dark 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 brown and i sent you home and you got with your spouse and y'all had a child it's still gonna be according to what you were born to be in other words he's not gonna be born tanned because you were out there getting tanned here here's the deal species change they adapt according to their genetic structure not the environment. That's the deal. Here's my little illustration. It's up there again. If there were a male and a female cat who also were eternal and they produced eternal offspring, if we waited a million trillion years, they or their offspring would never reproduce any other species than cat. God has decreed that reproduction will only produce after its kind. Now let me, here's a million dollar question. You can take it a step further and that really confounds any evolutionist. They now know because of modern science what's in genes, the programming. The pro, I mean, pick any skyscraper and bring the blueprints that it took to bring forth that skyscraper and look at those blueprints, hugely complicated. I mean, it takes, you know, master engineers and uh, master craftsmen and everything to, to do what these prints say, but they can't hold a candle to what is programmed into your genes and your DNA. Now, if originally there was a simple life form that came crawling out after growing legs for some reason in that primeval sea, came crawling out, and it crawled out with a basic gene structure, who or what programmed those genes? Are you telling me that time and chance went into the intricacy of the, the genetic structure of living things and said, this shall be that, and this shall be that, and you will do this, and you will grow that, and you will look like this, and you will look like that, and I give you the ability to have incredible variety among all the species. This incredible genetic structure just happened. Hello, is anybody home? No, the genetic... The genetic code and the genetic structure demands intelligent design. I mean, you go home to your computer and you look at that computer and you say, boy, Bill Gates, what a genius. Ha, come on. Bill Gates, Bill Gates might as well be living in a cave compared to what God programmed into your genes. It can't hold a candle to a computer. Now, or a computer can't hold a candle to those genes and chromosomes and DNA. So that's the deal. Genetics will not allow for evolution. You say, well, how come every scientist in the world 
isn't converting. The Bible is very clear about why. Romans 1 says, they willfully suppress the truth. And we have to stand stunned at man's refusal to acknowledge God. That's why Scripture says they're, they're without excuse. There won't be any excuse because life is so apparently created by God. Now, on the fourth day, God created the sun, moon, and the stars as if the genetic code was not enough. And DNA and chromosomes and everything else. On the fourth day, he made the sun, moon, and stars. Look what God said, quote, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. Let there be lights in the sky. And this gigantic sun appeared. But you know what? Oh, and he went on. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky. And what's the expanse? It's in between the waters, in the expanse of the sky, to give light on the earth. In other words, we can see it. He wanted us to be able to see it. Once again, God created the world to make it livable. The sun, the moon, the constellations were made for light and signs, seasons, days, and years. As we're about to see, the Bible is not a handbook of astronomy or any other science. Yet each time the Spirit of God refers to a subject that can be scientifically investigated, he does so with unerring accuracy. Because watch now, here comes Moses again. First of all, he says, like a botanist would do, like a modern-day botanist, he says, he says it's going to be after its kind, it's going to have the ability to reproduce after its kind. And he, and he quoted the genetic law. But now he comes to the heavens and the planets and the constellations. And what did Moses declare? God made two great lights. Look what he said, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. Well, what's the big deal there, Pastor Jeff? Well, it's this. How did Moses know the sun was the greater light? Bigger than the moon. Because ancient people in Moses' day thought the moon was far greater than the sun. You know why? Look at that harvest moon. For those of you about listening to my radio, I just showed them a harvest moon. When we observe the huge harvest moon. Now, you've got to remember, there was no telescopes. All you could do is observe the sky with the naked eye. So how did Moses know to say the sun was the greater and the moon was the lesser if to the naked eye it looked like the moon was the greater and the sun the lesser? Moses knew by revelation from God because he was moved by the Holy Ghost. Who was there when it was all made? And then as if it were an afterthought, Moses writes, oh yeah, he also made the stars. <laughs> oh yeah, he also made, five words, he also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. Do you know that there are approximately a billion stars in our own galaxy? A billion stars in our own galaxy. Now, are you ready? On top of that, scientists estimate there are 100 million other galaxies. Now, I know what you're doing. You're overloading. I overload when I read that. 100 million other galaxies in known, in known space. But let's don't stop there. We only know about one billionth of what is actually out there. 
and he made the stars also. So God spoke, and the infinite appeared. And he can't call your ashes out of the grave. He does that before he has his morning coffee. All right. No wonder the psalmist declared, read it with me, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, come on, they continue to speak. They speak. What do they speak about? The glory of God. Night after night, they make him known. Give him a hand of praise tonight. Isn't that great? <clears throat> Hallelujah. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. Let's move quickly. How are we doing? We're doing great. Next, God prepares living beings, not just vegetation, but living beings, to inhabit the water and the air. The fishes and the fowl is what he creates. All right, so God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. I would give anything to have been there to watch that happen. Because you know what? God created the creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird, what everybody, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Each fish and bird, like the plants of day three and the animals of day six, was created according to its kind. Once again, this indicates that any natural development of living things cannot cross the species line. Can't happen. With a single word from Elohim, Creator God, the skies were splashed with brilliant colors and movement as the first birds took flight. Can you imagine that? And the oceans were filled with thousands of various creatures of the sea. What a mighty God we serve. And for the very first time in the creation, it says God blessed an element of his creation. When he made the fish and fowl, it says he blessed them. It says God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. He said increase. He blessed them. And there was evening and there was morning and that was the fifth day. And finally, the sixth day arrived with God adding the finishing touches of his preparation of the earth for man's habitation. He first created the vertebrates and the creeping things. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. There it is again. Livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals. Say it with me, everybody, each according to its kind, genetics, all through Genesis. Now, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. God created all land animals. Here's what they were. Beasts of the earth were wild animals. The lions, the tigers, and the bears, aha. Uh -huh. Cattle, the cows, moo, domesticated animals. He made them, and he created them genetically to have a certain temperament. And everything that creeps upon the earth, the insects, all according to their kinds, all with the ability to reproduce according to their kind. Scientists have classified 
millions of different species of animals, including more than 800,000 different kinds of insects. If you don't like insects, that's not good news for you. But I have always been fascinated by them and, and look, 800,000 kinds. Every once in a while you'll come across, well, pretty often you come across an article on the web or something about, they just found a new species. No, they didn't. It's been there. You just hadn't found it yet. They went to some island and found new species and all the evolutionists come out. Yeah, see, it's a new, the evolution is still happening. Here's something we've never known to be here. You just never found it. And I guarantee you, it's not a new species. It already existed. 30,000 kinds of fish. Every fisherman in here say, amen, praise God. 30,000 kinds. 9,000 kinds of birds. 6,000 kinds of reptiles. 3,000 kinds of amphibians. 5,000 kinds of mammals. The God of the Bible is a God of variety. That's why he always, listen, he says, I will do a new thing. Shall it not spring forth? He's a God of infinite variety. Next time, one of my favorite subjects, what about the dinosaurs? Who can tell me what that's a picture of? Looks like brontosaurus, stegosaurus, not stegosaurus, brontosaurus. It's not tyrannosaurus. That's, that's a vegetation eater. Did you know, are you ready? Did you know that he is in the Bible? You say, prove it. I will next week. Let's stand up. You say with me, God is good. Aren't you glad God created the world? Doesn't it make things make more sense? And he created you not only in his image, but with a divine purpose in mind. You have a divine purpose. There is a reason for you to be here in the mind of God. Father, we thank you right now for the book of Genesis and the incredible creation Thank you, Lord, for the laws of genetics and how you gave boundaries to every living thing. And you created it in order and you created it with incredible variety and resilience. And Lord, you did such an incredible thing. We praise you for it and we thank you for it right now. We pray, Lord, that there will be an awakening in this country on the reality of God that the truth of what we've heard tonight will find its way once again into schools where our young people will no longer be intellectually deceived about their origin. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here at Turning Point Church and the people you're helping us reach. Lord, we stand in awe at your creation. In Jesus' name, let's sing one stanza before we go.